Hackett has the ball. Trojans in transition. Penrose is alone. They get it to Penrose for the three. Welcome to Believe in USC Basketball, everyone. My name is Aiden Berg, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Christopher Penrose. Chris, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, a few entertaining games from, from USC this week. Some some very strong efforts for, for them, especially the the desert uh, road trip sweep that we're, we're definitely going to be talking about here. Uh, their first since the 1984-85 season, first time that they've beaten both Arizona teams on the road. So it's certainly an impressive week for this team, and, and we're going we're gonna to tell you all about it. And let's actually start there, Chris, uh, and, and actually begin with that Arizona game from last Thursday when USC beat the Wildcats 87-73. to uh, It was a competitive game throughout the first half, but USC ended up pulling away. So what did you kind of see from, from that game specifically for, for USC? Yeah, so first and foremost, I mean, you know, Andy Enfield is never won in Tucson. And the last time, I mean, technically the, the last time USC won at the McHale Center, that was uh, in 2008 with O.J. Mayo. Technically, that victory has been vacated. Uh, so the last time USC had won there was actually my senior year um, when we went in there and beat Mustafa Shakur, uh, Marcus Williams, Ivan Rudinovich, and, and all those guys, and big upset win, and that was that was uh, probably one of the highlights of my of my senior season, winning there for the first time in 21 years. As you discussed, uh, you know, the the last time SC won both games in the desert uh, was that 84-85 season, and that was actually before even I was born. That's how long ago that was. Uh, so you know, every time Enfield goes into Arizona, um, you know, these games are definitely highlighted and. You know, Arizona, this hasn't been the Arizona team of the past uh, in terms of the in terms of, you know, the, the five star blue chip talent, um, you know, the high ranking. Um, I would say that, you know, even though Arizona is a very good team, uh, they're a little down this year. You know, a bunch of transfers. They're still kind of getting used to each other. Uh, but, you know, it was a it was a back and forth game in the first half. Um Defensively, I was extremely impressed with SC. You know, they held their two top scorers to to one and eleven, I believe, shooting. Um, and in oh and nine for James and Kingo, um, who had been averaging you know almost 14, 15 points per game. Um, I thought you know Isaiah White um, had the best game of his season, um, and he went seven of ten from the field, hit three huge threes. They were all very timely. Yeah. Um, and, and made some big free throws down the stretch and defensively, you know, I thought he did a fantastic job. Um, you know, if you look at Arizona's shooting numbers, it's pretty incredible. I mean, SC, you know, held them to 25 of 62 overall like that. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, and Arizona likes to put up a lot of threes. They only shot 16 threes. They only made four of them. Um, and, and Arizona didn't really turn the ball over. It wasn't like they were, they were making bad plays. SC was just locked in defensively. Um, and, you know, Arizona was one and out a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're, we're actually going to talk a little bit about the defensive numbers for this team a little bit later in the, in the show. But uh, certainly some very impressive just kind of overall statistics for the season for USC as a defense. And I think that really definitely showed through in this game, even though giving up 73 is not 
ideal, I guess. It's not it's not the absolute best effort, certainly, that they've had this season. But like you said, you know, especially on an individual basis, a lot of these guys kind of really showed out defensively in that game. And then I would also say in, in something that has become basically a a given for every game, Evan Mobley, 19 and 11. I mean, every single game he's done for about 20 and 10, uh, especially during this three-game stretch that we're going to talk about. What do you think has happened for him that he's kind of uh, f- found out about his game or, or gotten more comfortable so that he could just consistently put up these numbers and not necessarily have duds like he did against Utah? You know, I, I think I think he's getting more comfortable in Enfield's offense, but I also think you have to look at his supporting cast. Uh, and, you know, that Utah game, in my opinion, speaks volumes in that he cannot make, or excuse me, not, yeah, not, not attempt one field goal. And, and, and they still win by almost 20. Right. You know, when you look at, you know, Isaiah White, like we said, having 22 points, you know, Taj ED hitting some big threes. He almost had 10 points. He had nine points and, and, uh, and, and a few assists. Um, and the ball movement in the offense has just been much more consistent. It's been crisper. The ball is going in the post and being kicked out for open shots. And that will just help Evan get more opportunities, especially around the rim. Um, and, and, you know, the guy's just a force on the, on the interior glass. I mean, he got a bunch of offensive rebounds. Uh, he had that one incredible tip dunk um, that, that really kind of, uh, uh, I think it was at the end of the first half, and that really kind of propelled USC to momentum starting the second half. I mean, he, he's just a monster. And, and, you know, just think of what he's going to, what he's going to look like, you know, when he gets an extra 10 pounds of muscle on him. I mean, he's going to be a force in the NBA. Yeah. And then last thing from, from the Arizona game, I, I do want to ask because one of, you know, USC's perhaps biggest strength is their interior defense. And when you get near the baskets, it's really hard to get shots off, but uh, Azolas Tubelis for Arizona had 31 and eight. So was that just kind of a really strong effort from him? Was it something that maybe USC was, was fine with him getting his as, as long as everyone else didn't shoot well. Like we said, Arizona shot 40% overall, but this guy had 31 and eight. So, you know, what, what was kind of happening there that you saw? Yeah. You know, he made some tough shots. He had a fantastic game. Uh, you know, he, he hit some outside threes that I think kind of surprised SC defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he hit seven free throws, uh, but you could tell the defensive game plan for SC was to, really limit the three-point shooting uh, for Arizona and really focus on Nkingo, uh, Baker Jr., and Jordan Brown. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, you look at those guys' numbers, uh, Baker Jr. went one of seven from the field. Uh, James Nkingo went 0 of nine from the field, 0 of five from the three-point line. Uh, they really pressed the three-point line, and I think they were just willing to give up, you know, a, a little bit more inside. And, uh, you know, Tubelis had a fantastic game. I mean, take nothing away from the kid. He's a freshman. Uh, and, and he, you know, his back to the basket game was very strong. He had some good post moves and he got to the free throw line. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine. And I think Enfield, it's fine having that guy score 31 points and winning by 10. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I would, I would have to agree that they were ultimately fine with a 15 point winner or, or, we, 14 point win, I guess it was. Uh, let's move on to Arizona State, which was another double digit win on on the road against a talented team. Although ASU was without some crucial players like Remy Martin, that uh, certainly would have made this game more difficult for USC. And I think that you saw 
you know, what the actual talent matchup of this game was early when USC took a big lead. And then as, you know, 19 and 20 year olds are, are want to do, maybe they got a little bit complacent with, uh, with their lead and, and ended up being very competitive for a lot of the second half. And then USC ended up again, pulling away in, in the final few minutes of the game. What, what did you see about, uh, you know, just the talent advantage that they had there. And then also the ability to kind of take runs from, from Arizona state and, you know, shrug it off and, and, and come back right at them. Yeah. So a couple of things, I mean, Arizona state is very well coached. Father Hurley is a great coach. And I mean, you knew that SC was going to be in for a battle, even though they were very undermanned uh, when you saw what Arizona state did uh, against UCLA two nights previous. I mean, they took UCLA to overtime and they probably should have beaten Bruins. Um, and so, you know, that, you know, Arizona state at home, isn't just going to roll over because they don't have a couple of starters. I mean, they're, they're deep, they're talented. Um, and you know, I, I I was very impressed with, uh, Holland Woods, who basically kind of looks like a little Remy Martin, uh, who, you know, he went seven to 15 from the field, had 18 points. He was their leading scorer and the guy, you know, barely could get off the bench, uh, when Remy Martin's playing, um, and, and, you know, Alonzo Burns Jr. is instant offense. And, you know, SC knew that they were going to have to try to contain him as best as they could. They held him to 413 shooting, um, but he still had 17 points. And, you know, they, they have two big time uh, guys and Marcus Bagley and Josh Christopher, um, who could be two of the, the best young guys in the Pac-12. Um, so, I mean, it's still a good Arizona State team, although they were missing a couple guys. Um, and I agree with you, you know, SC, you know, got out to that big 18 point lead. But one of the biggest issues I have with this team and one of my biggest fears for them, especially if they go into the tournament and you and I discussed this on last week's show is the scoring droughts and in the last minute, 56 seconds in the first half against Arizona state, uh, SC went 0 of 8 from the field, didn't score a field goal and uh, ASC went on a 14, nothing run. And you're sitting there and you're going, holy crap, we were up 18. Now we're only up four. Uh, and all the momentum is uh, in the locker room of Arizona State. And, you know, you knew this was going to be a battle in the second half because, you know, you give these teams a little bit of momentum, uh, especially when they're down, they think they can hang with you and they're just going to come out fighting. Um, but, you know, I think SC played well as a team down the stretch. Uh, they made some clutch shots. They got some good rebounds. They played good defense um, and they were able to come out with a win. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where you, you wish they could have held on to that 18 point lead and just kind of blown them out. Um, you know, what that would do for, uh, you know, the rankings, um, you know, the eyeball test when, when, you know, the tournament selection committee is looking at some of SC's big wins, uh, you know, although Arizona state is four and five and one and two in the pac 12, you know, they're still predicted to, I think, finish second in the conference and they were ranked to start the season. So they're still a good team, um, even though the record doesn't show it. But, you know, I, I really wish that SC could have put a little bit more distance uh, between them. At the end of the day, it's still, you know, a nine-point victory on the road. Uh, but it would have been nice to have a double-digit victory, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, those those double-digit wins over formerly ranked or very talented, highly regarded at least opponents are hard to come by. So when you get an opportunity to get one, it is nice to to cash in on it. I would say this was maybe 
Mobley's Evan Mobley anyway his most impressive game 19 points 13 rebounds and six blocks which <laughs> I, I mean maybe is, is just kind of what he does now it's, it's the last two games for him but uh, against a, a very talented opponent like you said six blocks is uh, very very impressive and I also want to talk about Holland Woods a little bit um, he had 12 of his 18 in that final two minute stretch in the first half that you were talking about. So he was beating USC like by himself, basically, and then getting a little bit of help from his teammates, too. And uh, he also had that that steal and score to take the lead with seven minutes to play. But from there, USC did go on a 15 to three run to close it out. And it was very defensive oriented, as we have come to expect with this team. Do you think that they have reached the point that you can just rely on them to get stops when when they really need them is is it something that you can just bank on game after game that when they need to lock down on defense they will do that i hope so i mean that that's what that's like every coach's dream right is yeah. to you know when your offense doesn't doesn't travel or if it's not working uh you know you can rely on your defense to get those stops and kind of create offense for you um you know i don't know if that team is here or at that point quite yet i think they're close um but you know, what, and, you know, we're we're going to talk about you know the game last night against UC Riverside, where their defense really had to step up because their offense was atrocious. Um, you know, you look at that Arizona State game, and you know SC goes three of twenty-two from the three-point line, right? I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna shoot that low of a percentage from the three-point line, your defense better be better be creating other offense for you, or better be getting stops when you need them. Um, otherwise, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Um, especially, you know, when you start seeing these teams a second time around, uh, you know, you're going to need to make those shots. Yeah. So let's talk about that game. Like, like you just said, uh, moving on from, you know, the still impressive Arizona sweep uh, USC played UC Riverside last night, ended up beating them 67 to 62 in overtime in kind of a uh, last second kind of scheduled game, I guess I would say. Uh, so I, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but, probably closer than it should have been for a, a team that was just coming off a sweep of two very talented conference power five conference opponents. Um, let's, let's start with the good and, and just say that this was quite the game for, for the Mobley brothers. Uh, they combined for 36 points and 13 rebounds or 23 rebounds, I, I should say. And then Evan Mobley again, had another game with six blocks. So uh, you know, how do you see those guys as a tandem and as a team kind of coming on and can they be the two, the two best players on this team who kind of lead them to where they want to go? I'd hope so. And you could tell, you know, part of Enfield's game plan uh, against UC Riverside to start was to get uh, Isaiah Mobley in the game right away. I mean, he was very aggressive offensively. Um, they really worked through him in the post a lot more, which I thought was, was kind of a surprise because usually it's Evan who's in the post and Isaiah is kind of floating kind of in that mid range, the three point line a little bit more, uh, but he was aggressive to start. Um, and I actually liked that. I thought, I thought that was good. I think sometimes Isaiah needs to get uh, into the game a little bit more uh, because, you know, if he can get it rolling, he can get it rolling um, and he can fill it up. Um, you know, I it just, I kind of, I kind of look at this and, uh, from kind of what I heard is warmups was, was very, uh, the warmups were very lax. Uh, there was a lot of joking, a lot of playing around a little bit and it's tough. I mean, I've been there where, you know, you, you have a couple big games and you win them and then you come back and you have kind of a lesser opponent 
it's very easy for, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kids to kind of brush it off and kind of look past them. And I just think that's exactly what happened. And you can't do that against, especially a team like UC Riverside, who, you know, is a 45 minute drive away from SC, probably have a lot of LA area kids on that team who always, you know, loved watching or, or grew up watching USC or UCLA basketball. Right. Um, so whenever they play, you know, the Southern California Pac-12 teams, there's a chip on their shoulder. They want to show those coaches that they overlook them, that they can play uh, at the SC or UCLA level. And, you know, I just remember, you know, when I was at, when I was in college, you know, whenever we played LMU or Cal State Northridge or Fullerton or UC Irvine or, uh, I mean, those guys came out and they would throw an elbow at your face right away because, you know, they wanted to let you know that, that they can play with you. Um, and so these guys, you know, UC Riverside, they're going to come in and they're going to, they're going to have all the confidence in the world and they're going to, they're going to want to just, you know, do everything they can to prove to everyone out there that they can play, you know, at that level. And so that combined with taking them lightly, uh, turns into an overtime scare for a team that, you know, SC was like a 14, 15 point favorite over. Um, and, and you could just tell some of these guys, I don't know if, if, you know, the coaches panicked a little bit, um, you know, they only went eight deep. Um, you know, Chavez Goodwin, who I, you know, I think he's been playing pretty well this season. He only got seven minutes. Um, didn't, didn't really do much uh, at all. Uh, you know, Noah Bowman, you know, only took one three. Uh, he had a couple turnovers. I, you know, he got 15 minutes. Uh, you know, and Max Albonpolo only got 12 minutes. Um, it just, it, it seemed like Enfield really re- relied on his starters. Um and, you know, this is another three from 21 from the three-point line, you know, Trojan shooting experience that we had to go through, you know, 14%. Um, you know, if you're going to take those many threes, take that many threes, you can't just make three of them. Um, and and defensively, you know, they, they picked it up at certain stretches, but, you know, they, they weren't creating that, um, you know, turnover to a layup as much as they did against the Arizona schools. And, you know, I don't know if that's a product of, you know, like we talked about, they just mentally weren't quite prepared or weren't quite ready. Um, but, you know, Evan and Isaiah had fantastic games. I, I couldn't tell you the last time, you know, two players had double doubles uh, on an SC team. Um, and, and Drew Peterson, uh, towards the end of the game, he really took over and, uh, you know, and over time, he, he basically solidified it for the Trojans. But not, not a great performance. Um, you know, I, I really do think it's, and like you said, it's a tricky game. It was a last minute scheduling, you know, you don't have a ton of time to prepare. Um, and, you know, you go from thinking Washington, uh, who, who the Trojans are going to play next though. Oh my goodness. We got to, we got to gear up for UC Riverside two days before. So it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's COVID, uh, basketball scheduling, right. It's an absolute, uh, you know, crap toss and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Um, and it's hard to prepare for some of these games, but, you know, SC lost three weeks because of COVID protocols and they need to get some games in. So I don't think this is the last time we're going to see, you know, a game thrown in on a Tuesday before, a, before, a, you know, Pac-12 Thursday, Saturday uh, road show or, or home, home stand. Yeah. I see you there. It could be a, a very dense schedule for USC from, from here on out, if they can avoid the, uh, the, the COVID protocols again. I also want to kind of mention that, 
UC Riverside followed the Cal Baptist model of just shooting a ton of threes. I think over half of their field goal attempts were were three pointers. They didn't shoot amazingly well, but 12 of 32 is still pretty good. And then is particularly good when you compare it to three of 21 for, for USC. So, you, you know, do you see, I guess it doesn't particularly matter as much with these, with the conference schedule really coming in, but like you said, they could end up scheduling some more of these, you know, non-conference opponents on, on like a Tuesday before the, the conference game. So, you know, is that, is that a worry for you that teams will see that that has had success for less talented teams against USC who is, is a very good defensive team, but just kind of seems to have an issue with these teams that chuck a lot of threes. Yeah. Yes. Is the answer. And I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it, you know, people just love to shoot in the Galen center, but I feel like, I feel like opponents coming to the Galen center and just are able to fill it up from the three point line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and sometimes I feel like to go to that zone, uh, which, which I don't particularly care for, especially when you're, when you're playing against, you know, uh, uh, high three point attempt shooting teams. Um, but you know, I, I, I think, you know, the, the perimeter defense needs to be a little better, but if you look at their lineup, I mean, SC's big, right? Like yeah. Tim Peterson, who's their, you know, shooting guard is like six, seven. Um, you know, they, they, I think getting, I think getting Ethan Anderson back will definitely help that perimeter defense. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hearing that he could be back for the Washington game on Thursday. Not hundred percent sure, but you know, the, I think they need a little bit more speed on the perimeter. Uh, and, you know, especially as there's, you know, UC Riverside, like you said, like Cal Baptist, the drive and kick for open threes. Right. And, and when the defense collapses, you got to get out to those perimeter shooters quickly. Um, and although SC's defense is long, um, you know, they're, they're not as fast as when you put like an Ethan Anderson out there. So hopefully, you know, Ethan will be back and that'll definitely help the perimeter defense, but, uh, they definitely have a ways to go there. Yeah, I think he would also help with with the offense, which was the the biggest issue with this game for sure. Uh, just having another another ball handler and playmaker out, out there, I think, will will really help with this. Uh, like you said, kind of going through stretches where they just don't make anything. Having someone who can just make something happen, get into the lane, either make a shot or, or drop it off to someone else for an easy shot is uh, is very helpful for a team that can go through these, through these stretches of, of just not scoring for minutes yeah. on end. Yeah. And, and, and bench production too. Um, you know, it, when you play against, in my opinion, you know, if I'm, if I'm a coach and I'm playing this UC Riverside team, I'm really hoping I can get a lot of production from my bench guys and have, you know, some guys that don't play as much, maybe like a, like a Josh Morgan or, or uh, you know, uh, Reese Waters, you know, have those guys come in and play a little bit more. Um, but that just didn't happen. Uh, you only have three points off the bench uh, for SC. That that concerns me a little bit. Um, I, I thought our bench production was very strong, um, you know, in, in, in the desert. Uh, and I, I, I think that our, you know, that's part of the strength of this team is you have guys coming off the bench that can produce right away. Um, and having only three points, uh, from Max Paulo coming off the bench, that that's just not going to get it done. It needs to be better. Yeah, that was kind of the the Florida State model, especially for their really good team last year, right? Is is nobody's going to play a ton of minutes, but we go 10, 12, somewhere in there deep, and 
or just going to keep throwing long athletic guys at you. And I really think that USC could end up having something like that. Um, but like you said, they they certainly relied on, on the starters a lot in, in that overtime game. So we'll see how that kind of comes along, especially when, when Ethan comes back. I want to talk about the Pac-12 standings right now and just kind of do a little mid-season, early mid-season check-in with how everything is kind of standing. UCLA is leading the conference at, at 5-0, and has a, had a very strong start, but also has the same record uh, overall as USC at 9-2. and There's a lot of teams at 9-2. At and two, It's the overall best record. Um, but then there's uh, two teams at 4-1 and one in conference, and Oregon, who is the only ranked Pac-12 team right now, and Stanford at, also at 4-1. and one. And then USC is in fourth at, at, at three and one, followed by Colorado, Arizona, Washington State. It, it, that's kind of kind of jumbled in there. But, you know, when you look at these Pac-12 standings, what has kind of stood out to you at this point in the season? I mean, you know, it, it's, it shouldn't surprise me um, that UCLA being five and zero. Oh, um, you know, to be honest, anytime, as much as I hate UCLA, and I'm sure everyone on that listens to this podcast hates UCLA, it's good for the conference when the Bruins are are playing well. Um, and I always think it's good for USC because it just creates a better matchup and a better opportunity for SC to get a big time win when the Bruins are doing well. Um, but UCLA being 5-0, and um, you know, and they've had some ups and downs. Uh, you know, I think that's good. Um you know, Oregon is the lone uh, ranked team. Uh, you know, I, I can't quite figure that Oregon team out. Uh, sometimes they look really good. Sometimes they they, they look pretty poor. Um, Stanford, I think they're one of the uh, they're one of the dark horses for the league this year. I think they're very talented. I think they're well coached. Uh, Oscar De Silva, I think, is one of the best players in the conference. Um, it's that team really makes me nervous. Uh, and, and SC is going to get their chance at them when that game gets rescheduled if it hasn't been already, but that that's going to be a big one. Um, you know, Arizona state, we kind of, we obviously talked about them, uh, you know, them being one and two, they've missed some, they've had some guys miss because of COVID. They have some guys miss because of personal reasons. Um, you know, that's a big surprise. Uh, and then Washington and Cal, both those teams are in a world of hurt right now. Those yeah. are, and, and Washington, especially, um, you know, the fact that they're, they've only won one game all season long uh, and they're losing just about all their games by double digits plus. I don't quite know what's going on in that program right now, but this is this is a pretty brutal year for them. Yeah, we are definitely going to be checking in with what uh, some more specifics on, on Washington, as you said, USC's next opponent. But I actually do want to touch on UCLA really quickly because I, I do have my I do have my questions about them moving forward, I guess I would say. Uh, I think that Chris Smith, that injury, him being out for the season is is going to be tough. Yeah. And since around the time of that injury, it's been a lot of really close, pretty close wins for, for UCLA winning by single digits. And, you know, a win is a win. Right. But if you are if you are a great team, you, you win by by double digits and. Um, the the trending towards these kind of closer wins kind of indicates to me that they are not maybe as solid as they were before that injury or or earlier in the season. You know, is that is that kind of something that, that you see with them? Or do you think that they might be trending down a little bit and that they're com- uh, coming for a drop off here a little bit? Maybe I, I think initially. I mean, like you said, Chris, that that's a big loss for them. It's a big big loss. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we kind of talked about it, but, you know, going to overtime with an undermanned ASU team, um, 
and, and barely squeaking out a win uh, against a lipping Arizona team in the desert. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a desert road sweep and it's a good road sweep for UCLA, but you know, for a five and oh, nine and two, you know, supposed to win the conference type program, you know, you probably would have wanted to see a 22 point win over ASU and a 10 point win over, over Arizona. So I don't know if they're going to continue to trend downward a little bit. I think this game that they're going to have against Washington state, who's I think the, the number one team in, uh, in the country and defensive field goal percentage, I think that's going to be very interesting. Uh, I think we're going to learn a lot about that UCLA team uh, with against that Washington state group uh, on Thursday, but uh you know, they're, they're very, very well coached. Uh, I, I think Mick is, you know, a lot of people didn't like that hire for UCLA. I, I think it was a tremendous hire. Um, you know, he gets those guys ready and, and he brings a toughness uh, to that UCLA program that they've lacked for, for a long time. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can get them to do. Um, but I, I think, I think, they're going to struggle here for at least another few games and then maybe they turn it back around. Yeah. And then last thing on this, uh, it, it seems like there's kind of a, a top tier in this conference, I guess I would say with uh, UCLA at, currently in that position. Anyway, we'll see how they, how they progress. And then Oregon and Stanford, I would definitely put in that top tier too. Do you think that you at USC or any other teams belong in that kind of conversation in the absolute top tier of PAC 12 teams? I do. Um, I think SC belongs there right now. And I still think Colorado, um, yeah. you know, what McKinley Wright is, is the best player in the conference. Um, and, and when he gets that thing going, I mean, that team is very, very hard to beat. And Colorado's tough. They're big, they're strong. They have good athletic guards. You know, that's a team that, that can always kind of sneak its way into the tournament and then make some noise. Um, I think, I think this, the way the standings lay out now with, you know, UCLA, Oregon, Stanford, USC, Colorado, you know, I, that all makes sense to me. Um, and I think that is kind of the upper tier. I think Colorado sneaks into that upper tier. Yeah, they were certainly impressive against USC in, in, in their conference game. So we'll see how they continue. We're running a little bit long here, so we're going to finish up with a look ahead to the Washington schools who USC hosts this week. Uh, like you said, starting off with Washington tomorrow, which is Thursday, and uh, the Husties not having not having a great season. Uh, one and nine overall, zero and five in conference, not so great. I do see always an issue with these teams that play the two three zone and have this kind of, you know, some people might call it a gimmick, some people might call it a, you know, like a, a card up their sleeve kind of thing. It has given USC some some issues and previously, and with a team that does have off offensive deficiencies, I do wonder if that two three might give them some issues and make this game closer than the records would probably indicate. So, what do you think about that? Well, I, I you know the number one way to beat the zone obviously is to get the ball into the high post, and if you can run a high low action in a zone, you should be able to destroy uh, that zone and. I can't think of a better high-low opportunity than Mobley and Mobley. So hopefully SC can really execute on that uh, and, and really just pick apart that zone. They're going to need a better uh, showing from the three-point line. Uh, that's that's for darn sure. Um, but the good news is that, you know, if there's a worse three-point shooting team in the conference in USC, it's Washington. I mean, they're shooting 26 27% from the three-point line. Uh, they're led by Quade Green, uh, who's averaging, you know, 15 and a half points a game. 
but other, after that, it drops off significantly. Uh, you know, Jamal Bay is averaging seven points. Nate Pryor is averaging seven points. Um, you know, they're, they're going to shoot a lot of threes. They're going to try to get up and down the court, but then they're going to sit back in the zone. The number one thing SC could not do against Washington is get lazy in the zone. It's mm-hmm. very easy to sit back and take open threes, and that's exactly what they want you to do. They need to work the ball into the high post. They need to work the high-low action. And if they start doubling, tripling Evan or Isaiah Mobley in the post, that's when you can kick it out for some open shots, but you got to hit them. Yeah, and because of that, the numbers overall for Washington aren't particularly bad defensively, although they do get out-rebounded by nearly 10 rebounds per game, which is not good. And given the size and athleticism that USC has, I don't know if I would say that they've been a great rebounding team, but they do have the two Mobleys, and then if Chavez did one, you know, gets more minutes moving forward. Uh, three guys in there who who could really dominate a, a rebounding-deficient Huskies team. Is that, you know, something that you think that USC should really focus on? Because if they... If they really crash the glass, you know, Evan Mobley had seven offensive rebounds the other night. If they if they really crash the crash the offensive glass, that could be a source of offense for them where it might be difficult to find. Yeah, and I and I think they're gonna have to. Um, you know, I would I, I'm hoping for a lot of, you know, ESPN top ten tip dunks from Evan Mobley. Um, right. or, or or even as I Isaiah White, excuse me, uh, you know, coming off the perimeter. You know, crashing the offensive glass. There are always tons of opportunities because it's very difficult to box out when you're playing zone. And especially as the game gets longer, um, you know, you get a little lazier, a little bit more tired, and that's where those wings can really crash uh, and get some easy cheap buckets off of off of some long rebounds. So that'll be another key. It's a good point. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I certainly foresee more of a defensive kind of game, just given the two teams' strengths and weaknesses for that one. Uh, and then probably another one with Washington State. A, a lot of USC's names are probably going to be d- defense-focused, but Washington State is another team that is really strong defensively. They're actually allowing fewer points per game than USC is, 62 points per game, only allowing 35.5% field goals, 256 from three uh, against them. So they are they are a really strong defense. Uh, what do you think would be the key for USC trying to, trying to break through there? Patience. They're going to need to be patient. They're going to need to work the ball through the shot clock. You know, Washington State's going to want to really slow this game down. They're going to want to. They're going to want to keep it in like the 50s to low 60s, uh, and they're going to want to slow it down. They know SC has tons of athletes. Uh, they're going to do everything they can to get back in transition, and SC's going to have to be very, very patient on the offensive end. Work the ball through the post. I would. I would hope that Washington State's going to start doubling. Um, because I think, you know, I think Evan Mobley is going to do a good job of finding open players um, and getting easy baskets. But if SC is going to try to speed everything up and go too fast, that's what Washington State wants, and you're playing right into their hands. And this Washington State team is good. I mean, they, they took Arizona to two overtimes, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and they, they only, um, you know, they, they gave Stanford, you know, a, a decent run, uh, and then Stanford just kind of, just kind of blew them out at the end. Um, but, you know, this team is well coached. Um, you know, they, they have some, some decent shooters on the team, you know, all one through five of their starters can shoot threes. Uh, what's interesting about, about this team is they've had nine guys, nine different guys start. So uh, very interchangeable. Um, you know, they're, they're led by, you know, Isaac Bonton, 
He's averaging 17.7 points a game. Um, you know, he, he's going to be wheeling dealing, making good passes. He leads the team in assists. Um, you know, I think if you stop him, uh, he'll have a good job or have a better chance of, of slowing down the Washington state offense, getting rebounds and then, and then getting out, um, and, and trying to push the pace as much as possible, even though they're going to, they're going to want to stop you from doing that. Um, not a whole lot of games away for Washington state. This will be their third game on the road. Uh, they, they play nine games at home, only two on the road. So, um, you know, there's no crowd or anything like that, but you know, whenever you're, you're on the road and not sleeping in your own bed, it's, it's, it's definitely a disadvantage. So, uh, I, I'm going to be very interested to see how the Trojans play against Washington state. This is kind of a different type of team than they played all year long. Uh, but again, as long as they're patient on the offensive end, uh, they should be okay. All right, and then last thing with it, with an eye towards these two games is USC's defensive numbers that I kind of teased towards the beginning of this podcast have been very strong in a few areas. So they're number one in the country in blocks per game at 6.5, which makes sense given what Evan Mobley especially has done in recent games. He's basically carrying that himself uh, in, in the last stretch. But number two in the country in opposing field goal percentage at around 36. So that's obviously very strong. But then you look and they're 37th in scoring defense. So what have you seen that kind of accounts for that discrepancy? I know 37th is still good, but it doesn't line up with those, those things where they are very elite, especially at opposing field goal percentage. So what can they do to kind of implement that more in terms of the scoreboard? And how do you see that maybe playing out for these two games? Yeah, you know, I think I think perimeter defense is a big key. We kind of talked about that earlier. I think getting uh, Ethan Anderson back is going to really help that. Um, you know, they Trojans have had some issues with with some turnovers leading to to runouts and open layups. Um, I think I think that's kind of attributing to that uh, to those numbers as well. Um, as long as they can as if they cannot turn the ball over, get back on defense and limit uh, three point shooting and and you know one and dones. Uh, and then I think they're going to be okay. You know, I, the Mobleys need to clean up uh, the defensive boards, you know, continue doing what they're doing in the, in the paint and blocking shots. Uh, but the key is to, is to have the offense be one and done. Um, don't let them get a whole lot of offensive rebounds. Um, and, and, you know, they should be just fine. The perimeter defense is, is the most concerning thing to me at this point. Um, that's something they really need to clean up. And I think those numbers will go down. Yeah, we will see if USC can continue their the momentum that they've established in recent games. That's going to do it for the episode today. Thank you to everyone for listening. You can find us everywhere, basically, that podcasts exist. And we will see you next week. Fight on. Fight on.